Our reading this morning is taken from Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was sit seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And now we hand over to David, who will bring us our message this morning. It should have been the happiest time of their lives. Albert and Florence Penn were from the village of Hasland near Chesterfield and had not long been married. They were expecting their first child. But the First World War changed all of that. Albert volunteered to serve, but initially he was refused because Florence, his wife, was pregnant. He was told to come back when the baby was three months old, and he did what he was told. Eight months later, when his child, baby Mary Estelle, was just 11 months old, he was dead. Albert died at Passchendaele on the 30th of October 1917. He was just 28 years old and his body was never found. Albert's granddaughter Cynthia explains how Albert's living hope in Jesus Christ strengthened him to serve his king and country. The last story uh, the family heard of Albert was just a few days before Albert and his regiment went over the top. And a member of Albert's church from back home was being stretched away from the front when he saw Albert. Cynthia retells the account. She says this, my grandfather was standing in an open field with a Bible in his hand, finishing a talk to the young soldiers. And then he led them in singing the hymn, Rejoice, the Lord is King. And then Cynthia shared these words. I like to think that in that terrible time, he didn't keep the faith. The faith kept him. That in that terrible time, he didn't keep the faith. The faith kept him. You see, faith, or to use another word, hope, is a powerful force. Hope, uh, hope of a better world strengthens servicemen and women to risk their lives in the active pursuit of peace. And on Remembrance Sunday, we pause to give thanks for their sacrifice. Hope is a powerful force and it affects us all. You know, human beings, in essence, are hope-shaped creatures. And the way we live now is hugely shaped by what we believe about our future. 
Let me share with you an illustration. Imagine if you were two prisoners of war, two twin brothers. They've got the same upbringing, the same family. And then moments before the first is captured, the, 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 the first brother hears that his wife and child has been tragically killed in the London bombings. The second brother hears that his wife and child has been safely evacuated to the country, away from all harm, and will be awaiting for him to return home. Now, it would be of no surprise to discover that the first brother soon wastes away. He kills up and dies within a year. Whereas the second brother stayed strong, and walked out a free man four years later to be reunited with his family. Twin brothers, same prisoner of war camp, but what they believed about their future shaped their present. You see, hope is a powerful force. Whoever we are, whatever we may be facing today, we all need hope. You see, human beings are hoped shaped creatures. This week we've entered into a second national lockdown and as a nation we are in desperate need of hope. Hope that we will be able to emotionally cope with this new lockdown. Then there's some real concerns about mental health and well-being. Hope that this lockdown will be effective in bringing down that R value, that we will be able to enjoy some kind of normality this Christmas and meet with our loved ones. Hope that we will be able to weather the financial implications of the coronavirus pandemic. Hope that ourselves or our loved ones will not become ill with COVID. Hope that a successful vaccine will soon be available. You see, we all need hope. Hope shapes how we live today. And in our passage this morning, we find hope, Christian hope. So what is the hope that we find in our Bible passage today? Well, I want to describe it using two words. First, it's hope that is tangible. And secondly, it is hope that is practical. So first, this hope is tangible. And there's two uh, very important words in this passage, and they're found in the second verse. And there's these words, coming down, coming down. Let me read to you verse 2. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. So what do we have here? We have the here we have John the Apostle having a vision of the end of history, the climax of history. And what do we have? You see, what we don't have is a vision of souls rising up and escaping this material world. No, we don't have that. What we have is a vision of heaven coming down to transform the earth. You know, there's this idea that heaven is a place where we, you know, float six inches above the grass and uh, we communicate with other disembodied souls through telepathy. But this is not Christian hope. You see, our hope is found in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In the Bible, the resurrection of Jesus is called the first fruit, the first fruit. You see, first fruits are the beginning of a harvest. 
So in other words, uh, first fruit is the first instalment. So when Jesus was raised from the dead, he is the first fruit or he is the first instalment of the thing that we are hoping for, the thing that we're looking for today, the renewal of all things. The resurrection of Jesus is the first instalment of the new heaven and the new earth. And it's in this new heaven and new earth that we will have new bodies. You see, God isn't just saving our souls. He is rescuing our bodies. And what we have here in our passage today is a vision of a perfectly healed and restored material world. There's not a harp in sight. Well, there might be a harp, but if there's a harp, it's definitely a material, physical harp. You know, it's a world where we eat and drink and we can hug and embrace one another. This week, Mary Brandt from our church family uh, passed away, uh, having contracted uh, the coronavirus, COVID-19. And sadly, the family were not able to uh, hug her and embrace her as she sat in hospital. But there will be a day when Mary will be able to hug her loved ones once more. You see, in the coming new heaven and earth, we will hug and kiss, we will eat and dance, just as Jesus did when he appeared to his disciples at his resurrection. You know, he appeared to his disciples and he says, look, check me out, I am not a ghost. I have a resurrected body. And to prove it, he even took uh, some fish and ate it with them. You see, Christian hope is not pie in the sky. Christian hope is a feast on earth. We're not going to be disembodied souls hovering around on the clouds. We're going to be eating and laughing and dancing and embracing You know, are you longing for a life that you've never had or the family that you've never had or the home that you've never had or the body that you wish you had? Well, our our passage promises us that it is coming. The coming kingdom is not about souls escaping from the earth. It is about heaven coming down and transforming this world. That's why Martin Luther uh, once said, that if the world, if he found out that the world was going to end tomorrow, he would plant a tree today. You know, we read, don't we, in verse 14, what's his vision of our new creation? He, we read this. He, that is God, will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more pain or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. See, this hope is tangible. And secondly, Christian hope is practical. Talking to the family of Mary this week, they took great comfort in how Mary's faith and hope in Jesus Christ sustained and strengthened her in her final moments this side of eternity. The family were able to do a video call and uh, Mary's favourite hymn was playing. Her favourite hymn was Just As I Am. And there she was mouthing these words from her hospital bed. Just as I am, you, Jesus, will receive, will welcome 
pardon, cleanse, relieve. Because your promise, I believe, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Because of the promise of eternal life found in Jesus. Because of the promise found in these verses today of a renewed heaven and new earth. Mary was able to step forward with confidence towards the glory of everlasting life. And this Christian hope has been a practical support for all Christians throughout the ages. You know, let's just imagine for a second the first readers of these words. Remember, this was a a letter written to some real um, Christians that were living uh, through intense persecution under the Roman Emperor uh, Domitian. Now, there was widespread and large-scale persecution. And the followers of Jesus were being immensely cruelly treated. They were being impaled on stakes. They were being sent into the arenas to be mauled by wild beasts. Christians were being covered in pitch and set alight whilst they were still alive. And you know there were, there were loads of them, many hundreds at a time, were being crucified on the roads in and out of Rome. This is what the first readers of our passage faced. Now this is, we read some of this in the opening chapters, chapters 2 and 3 of this book of Revelation. You know, yes, to, yes, we may be facing difficult times, but Christians throughout the ages have faced really difficult times and have taken great comfort and confidence uh, in this vision, this future hope that we have. And so faced with immense and intense persecution, what practical help did John the Apostle give to these early Christians? Well, he shared with them this tangible vision of hope and he wrote to them these words that we're looking at today. And this hope strengthened and sustained them in the face of horrific persecution. And it it worked. It worked. It was practical. And they were able to endure hardship with great peace and confidence. And as the beasts tore them apart limb from limb, they sung hymns of worship to Jesus. And they forgave those who were crucifying them. And the more that they were being persecuted, the more that they were being murdered, the more people came to faith. So much so that the early church father Tertullian wrote these words, we multiply when you reap us. We multiply when you kill us, in other words. And then he says these famous words, the blood of Christians is seed. It's almost like the more blood that was shed, the, more bl- the, the blood of the martyrs caused a great harvest, a great many people to come to Christ. You see, Christian hope is practical and the way we live now is hugely shaped by what we believe about our future because we've got a couple of choices don't we you know do you believe that when you die you'll simply rot away and you'll be no more and then one day you know the the sun will burn out and all human civilization will be gone forever and nobody will ever remember anything that anyone has ever done Do you believe that we're simply a product of a random universe, a cosmic blip in an ocean of complete meaninglessness? That nothing 
we ever do will count for anything. Because that's one vision of the future. That's one vision of life. Or do you believe in a new heaven and a new earth and a judgment day when one day we will all stand before Jesus and that everything we do right now counts for eternity? You see, these are two radically different futures and depending on which one you believe, you're going to live your life in a very different way. You see, this hope is tangible and it's practical. And when this hope pierces our hearts, we realise that no matter what this life throws at us, no matter what evil might come, we have a bright and glorious and secure future and the best is yet to come. And so to close, how do we get this hope? Well, it's found in the person of Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. You see, in his death upon the cross, Jesus took our hopelessness. You know, he took our separation from God and he bore the cost of our sins. And he bore uh, upon the cross that, that hopelessness that belongs to us, that, that lack of hope that we deserve. Why? So that we can receive the hope that we don't deserve and that will never disappoint us. But Jesus didn't just die, he rose again. Jesus is our living hope. And his resurrection is the first instalment. And one day, everything will be made new. And there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Our hope, you see, is not abstract. Our hope is tangible and it's practical. And it shapes the way we live today. And our hope is found in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So if you haven't done so yet, come to Jesus today. Accept him as your saviour and receive this glorious hope. And may this hope change your life. That you may be able to rise to whatever challenge is before you. Because you know your future is secure. And so to close, let me end with a quote from another early church father, this time Augustine of Hippo. And Augustine wrote these words, He who loves the coming of the Lord is not he who affirms that he is far off, nor is he he who says that it is near, but rather he who, whether it is far off or near, awaits it with sincere faith, steadfast hope, and fervent love. Saints, no matter what you may be facing today, a better day is coming. And we have a great and glorious hope in Jesus Christ, our Saviour. May we be a people who live lives of sincere faith, steadfast hope, and fervent love. Saints, let us worship together.